You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses add value and prepare for the future. Welcome, everyone. Over the last 18 months, we have been running a campaign looking at the drivers of prosperity in cities and urban centres. The pandemic has accelerated conversations around social value, climate change and the role of workplaces, which makes the need to understand how the built environment can drive prosperity in cities and urban centres even more pressing. What was clear from our findings is that people still want to be based in cities and urban centres with the opportunities that they provide. Today I am joined by Nick Whitten, Head of UK Living Research at JLL. As London reopens, we are going to be discussing what this will look like for Londoners and London on the global stage. There are a number of themes that I think will come out of this podcast, which we will explore together. The first is the importance of London as a global capital city for finance and investment, as well as being a tourism hotspot famed for arts, culture and hospitality. Nick, welcome to our podcast today. Um, To start off our conversation, um, from your view, how do you think London will look as we reopen or start to reopen from the pandemic? Well, hi, Katie, and thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you. That's a really interesting question, of course. I think what I'd like to probably refer to um, is uh, a piece of research that JLL's Cities research team um, has undertaken recently. So this is a team that we have that undertakes research into 620 major cities around the world. And they analyse a whole range of indicators, about 40 in total, for each of those cities. And their latest findings have London amongst what they call the established world seven cities, the top seven cities, if you want. And that in many indicators, you could see London as ranked as number one. So in a sense, they're still saying London firmly has a place at the world's top table. Now, some of those things that where London ranks number one, transparency is one of them. So London is a very transparent market for international business. And that's largely due to things like our very, very open and transparent legal system, taxation and, and the clear understanding of what the taxation policy will be coming into London. So in terms of a global capital, it's a great place to do business. London also ranks number one for talent. And the reason for that is because um, amongst the top 100 universities in the world, uh, five of them are actually in London in the capital, in the UK capital. So it's a great place to grow brains, basically. But not only does it grow those brains, it also performs really well at retaining them. Uh, there's a really high graduate retention rate. And perhaps the other other area I'd like to flag is that London is a top five city for innovation, for having grown those brains, it then retains those brains to work in these innovative new businesses. And I, and I think you alluded to it in your question, London is a, a global hub for finance, uh, the European capital for, for digital industries, um, the tourism capital of the world the administrative capital of the UK, the cultural and leisure capital of the UK, all of those significant sectors being in one location creates opportunities and will continue to create opportunities going forward. So we are pretty confident that London's place is secure as a global world capital. Thanks, Miss. So that's really interesting. So from, from what you're saying, it does look like London has managed to retain its global significance even through the pandemic. Um, but 
looking forward, if people are not in offices, do you think London will still be the London global capital for finance and investment? Or do you think arts and culture will lead more? What's your, your view? And has there been any research that indicates what the trends might be? So the latest data is actually showing that um, office occupancy is beginning to rise again. And, and office occupancy, by that I mean people bums on seats, people actually back in UK offices. Um, so the latest data for, for April uh, showed the UK was back to around about 45% occupancy. Uh, and bear in mind that pre-pandemic, it was peaking at around about 90 anyway. You'd never get 100% occupancy. It obviously dropped to below 10% during the, the height of the pandemic, but is starting to trickle back up again. And if you think about it, we haven't truly unlocked yet from the pandemic. We're in the process of unlocking. So that's already quite encouraging that people want to get back into those office environments. Furthermore, we've, we did, we've done numerous surveys throughout the pandemic looking at people's attitude to the office. We had thousands and thousands of respondents and we found only 5% of people amongst our respondents would like to work from home remotely all of the time, full-time remotely. So the vast majority of people do want some access to, uh, to the city, to, to office environments, to those collaborative places, those creative places on a weekly basis. In some respects, the, the big hope, the learning from all of that we've been through is that people will, though, have more flexibility in their working week the possibility of hybrid working weeks will will emerge um, where we get a bit of a taste of the office and a bit of a taste of working from home. So it might be that occupancy continues to tick up, but we also see more home working as well. And that's a good thing for potentially evening out the movement of people on a day-by-day basis across such a big area as as London uh, and indeed other major cities. Through all of this, uh, to the question, does that mean you know the financial sector's place is secure? Well, I think I think the answer is yes, because it's managed to remain secure through a full lockdown period as well. Um, as we were just referring to, London's London's place at the top table has has prevailed, has remained. Um, in a sense, that sector has shown that it's got the ability to do some homeworking as well. So reality is finance will will remain, will prevail. But London, as we've also looked at, has not just got one string to its bow. It is, it is strong in a number of ways and other sectors will, will continue to grow in significance as well. And in some respects, the growth sectors in London hadn't, were not the financial sector. They were the digital sectors, um, some of the the crossovers between finance and digital, the fintech centre, London London is the fintech capital of the world, technology finance, essentially. So through all of it, we do expect a return to the office, but hopefully with increased flexibility that, that overall makes for a better working environment for those that are fortunate enough to be able to, to enjoy the best of both worlds. Yeah, no, thank you, Nick. That's really interesting. And I guess that it goes on to the theme a bit about the changing views of the home and offices and the CBI chief executive survey earlier on in the pandemic had said that there's going to be less office space needed. But and as you've already alluded to, that view is diminishing over the course of the pandemic. Um, But from your research, you know, what is it saying about how working patterns will change? It's one thing about what the employees actually want. (laughs) Now they've had a taste of 
flexibility but what are you seeing in terms of what business leaders and everything are saying about it as well yeah it's it's really interesting to note the change in behavior of of those leaders um as you rightly say at the beginning of the pandemic the cbi surveys uh, surveys of the top 100 ceos in in the country those kind of surveys were showing uh, a very high percentage expected to reduce their their office footprint, their amount of time that people were spent in the um, spending in, in cities, and we heard bold statements about some businesses will never go back again, and those kind of things. Gradually, over time, those surveys are repeated, and the, and the p- percentage has reduced that that are bringing through those kind of statements. That what's definitely changed is how we will use the office going forward. I think the, the latest thinking now is not around. We'll not go there, and we won't need as much of it. It's around how it will be reconfigured to make to be more effective to to modern working methods going forward. The the UK um, former UK CEO at JLL now now chairman Chris Ireland he he coined a phrase earlier on in the pandemic that the office will be an ideas factory. Uh, people go there to to collaborate, to be creative, to effectively enjoy an environment where you can learn from from other people. What I suppose I I would read from that is that you probably wouldn't go to the office realistically to sit at a desk and and type your emails. That could be done more effectively in the home environment. So what's likely to happen is effectively a a segregation of the type of output that we produce. Certain environments will be better. Remote environments will be better perhaps for written project work, detailed project work, for example. the office will be much better for uh, meetings and creative um, creative outputs. Now, where I guess where the really interesting question comes here is around that flexibility, that that hybrid flexibility, and whether we can find a, a nice compromise between the possibility that some people will be in the room and some people won't be in the room, because it's likely that if you're having a meeting where half of the people are in the room and half are not in the room. There's no way to look about past the fact that those that aren't in the room are at a slight disadvantage. So much of our communication is non-verbal as well, and it can be more dynamic if you can be looking at multiple people at once in, in a room versus as you know, as we're doing now via means like this, um, remote technology means it is much more one-to-one scenarios. So there will have to be uh, allowances for that and, and um, perhaps strategies put in place. But Ultimately, uh, and there's going to be some businesses who will perhaps in the face of some of those challenges resort to a right, everyone back in the office, we work better that way. But some who will remain um, with increased flexibility. And you have to imagine that um, having had a taste of all this, workers will prefer the flexibility in the main. And the best employers will be the ones that continue with that flexible approach. And then you'll have a flight to quality to those best employers. And in a sense, the rest will be dragged in that direction. So we are, we are confident that the future is a hybrid model where you get the best out of both scenarios dependent on the type of activity you're doing. And, and we're going to come on a bit to the 15-minute city later, but I guess I'm interested to understand where people are going in to collaborate in center, city centre offices what that might mean in terms how how their spend changes when they're there is is there going to be a different type of spending to what they may have done 
um, before going in just to work or sit at their desk and eat a sandwich at their desk, for example? Yeah, I mean, this is the $6 million question or probably, dare I say, quite a lot bigger than that in terms of number of zeros after the six. It's a really difficult one to, 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 to be certain around. And we, we had a little bit of a go at calculating potential spending patterns of commuters, looking at net commuter inflows and outflows across the 33 London boroughs, and then taking an assumption on, on how much those commuters spend per day in, in the, in the centre when they commute in. Um, there was a pretty clear finding that seven central London boroughs uh, receive significant inflows of spend per per day. This is all pre-pandemic, of course. Um, and the remaining boroughs, and, and those seven boroughs don't just receive an inflow of money spend from the, from the outer boroughs. It also includes commuter towns as well. The outer boroughs, though, would all see theoretically ranges in in number of millions retained but upwards at the top end of around about 100 million pounds per year remaining in their borough if people only commuted half as many have as much as they used to so let's say two two three days in two three days at home but i think it's really important the question you asked actually katie as to whether if you said theoretically that 100 million at, at peak stayed in outer borough x or outer borough y would people then just spend that money on a day-by-day basis as they did in the nature of commuting, spending the money on food, drink, um, coffees, etc.? I think the other possibility is that they would save that money and put it towards a bigger outlay further on in the year, perhaps uh, save up for that, that uh, electronic piece of equipment that they want or, or, or whatever, that, whatever that might be. And actually evidence from the retail from the technology retail sectors has shown that people have been spending more on technology through COVID as they've managed to save money on things like not having to commute. It could be that people save up for a bigger holiday and, and use it that way. It could be that they spend it in their local community. They, they eat in a, in a local cafe or restaurant where they would have spent it in town. Or it could even be that they spend a bit more when they go into town. So instead of um, eating in the it, it, on a slightly more sort of um, affordable basis in terms of a, a cafe kind of lunch, they swap it for a slightly more expensive restaurant lunch in the knowledge that they're only going in two, three days a week. So there's quite a lot of possibilities there about where that money goes. I think the probable probability, the realistic assumption, would it be probably filters into all of those possible avenues. So no one area experiences a significant benefit. But it, but it would obviously be remained seen. It's, it's in, that will be fun, really fascinating to monitor those spending behaviours to really see where where the benefit goes. And I guess that feeds into this idea around the fifteen minute cities and the benefits that that might bring for new hubs around a main city centre hub. And and you've alluded already to the fact that having worked from home, the suburbs, local areas, and um, outside central London have already benefited. And as restrictions have eased, cafes, local shops have seen much more footfall than they would have done previously. And I guess you have sort of indicated potentially that there might be a more even spread. But what do you think the balance will be for greater and inner London? Do you think inner London would lose out or will everyone just benefit more as a result? It is a really, it's a really tricky one to 
to be sure, because inner London does face that potential challenge that people that less people are coming to inner London every day. And the reality is, if you follow the the theory that we do have a more hybrid working week, the the five million commuters a day that used to go to central London every day pre COVID could be more like three and a half, four million commuters every day. So it's a lot less people, albeit still a very significant body of people going every day to those central locations. And as we've said, maybe spending a little bit more when they are in. So possibly the, the scenario exists that the there may be a small net reduction in spend. The other point to note is that we've obviously come out of a period of lockdown where from here, the only way is ramp up for almost all areas, but particularly those central areas, as more and more people come in, it will only start to feel busier again. Uh, in terms of the outer London areas, th- this is actually, in a sense, the great London levelling up a levelling up option opportunity. We talk about the levelling up agenda generally for the, for the UK, but outer outer London is perhaps sometimes the, the forgotten part of that story. And we, you know, we overlook the fact that there are thirty major town centres across London. Every every one of the boroughs, more than thirty, have a major hub in themselves, and so retaining attracting additional spend in those locations can only be a good thing for those locations i think one thing i'd say about the 15 minute city concept as well though is it is it's not just um an economic story it's also a an environmental story it's built in the concept that we do more in our local community which means we rely less on driving to other areas in a sense bringing goods from other areas into our area uh, unsustainable practices, whereas 15-minute city concept is that you use things that are within walking distance of you. You use local services, local amenities, uh, less transport, ultimately driving down our impact on on the environment as well. So, so it's a multifaceted potential benefit to city life, potentially also a more enjoyable way of life, a slightly more relaxed way of life. We don't all essentially cram onto the same trains, same buses, and, and move from A to B and in a in a slightly less than a comfortable environment. We spread our life out a little bit more and, and, and enjoy a slightly more relaxed life. And, and this is one of the great opportunities from the pandemic, creating more livable cities. You'll see headlines all the time that we've all quite literally run for the hills and, uh, you know, it's the end of the city and everyone now wants to live in the country. But it's just basically impossible for for this country to significantly de-urbanize because over the past 30 years, almost all of our population growth has been in an urban context. And in fact, that's pretty much the case for most of the Western world. To effectively now de-urbanize, you would almost face the perverse, perverse scenario that you'd be creating urban uh, rural areas. So they would no longer be n- not urban anyway. So it, it's not going to happen. There isn't the housing in those locations. So people are going to have to adapt to cities, enjoy cities more. And hopefully we'll, the, the great opportunity exists now for policymakers, planners to help deliver that kind of living environment in, in an urban context. And do you think there'll be an increase in hub offices outside of central London, like in addition to people going into the main centre or working from home? Do you think there'll be more collaboration centres around greater london or other areas around cities that 
that this can take place without everyone having to go to one central location? It, it, it obviously probably depends on the nature of a business and whether they have um, significant potential staff concentrations in certain locations that mean it, it might be of benefit for them to to create a, a hub in various different geographies away from the central central point of contact. It probably stands to reason that the more likely beneficiary would be the flexible working office model or the kind of the, the business club model and the likelihood that you could potentially see those kind of environments springing up in more outer locations and employees can have, if they want to, the ability to go into that flexible office space, that that working working club type of scenario to to find a place to meet a client or to find a place to change change up what it is just to always be working from home or in that central or going back into that central office environment. So there and there is some evidence starting to emerge that those kind of businesses are springing up in in outer borough locations and, and so so that, that that makes some sense i think the possibility of, of fully blown hubs in the outer boroughs is is likely to be less pronounced when it is so easy to to go back into the center obviously so 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 that's yeah i think it's the flexible model where the where the balance of probability lies for for increased benefit no, that's interesting. And you mentioned earlier the levelling up agenda. It's obviously clear that the Prime Minister, especially from the Queen's speech and the legislation that they've laid out um, for this parliamentary session, that that is going to be absolutely top on, on the priority. And I think probably what we have seen from the pandemic is it has demonstrated to a certain extent that there has been inequality between and within cities. Those who are keeping the cities running have been disproportionately affected in, in many cases. What do you think for London and UK cities as a whole that the levelling up agenda needs to address first, do you think? It's obviously no secret that in certain parts of the country and, and particularly those those areas that are seeing a big demand supply imbalance people, where people want to live and there's not enough houses to provide spaces for them, that housing affordability it's getting out of control or unaffordability, should I say. Um, and the big issue there, the government doesn't just talk about a levelling up agenda, is that it wants, it also wants a housing-led regeneration of this country. Housing is a top top priority. Um, we, we at JLL have repeatedly tried to, to make the point to the government that we need to see... Um, an increased range of housing delivery. We need a greater variety of providers of housing, a greater variety of tenures of housing, a greater innovation in the models of housing that we deliver. Uh, and we have to move away from essentially the one-size-fits-all model of uh, build it for build it to sell type of, of models, private sale models. Um, that, that said, you know, that, that's an important part of the delivery piece, but it's not the only part of the delivery piece. So we need to explore the options for increased affordable housing delivery. Um, and that's something that the Mayor of London has been, has been very clear on. That's a top priority for him and will continue to be so. Uh, but we also need to make sure that we see a strong, vibrant build-to-rent sector, the institutionally delivered model for uh, owned and operated rental housing, housing principally aimed at that kind of squeezed middle 
of people who are ineligible for affordable housing but unable to access home ownership need to make sure that there's a significant delivery of homes for that subset of the population. Um, We also need to see uh, increased um, provision of shared ownership type of building, uh, type of models, um, part own, part rent models. Innovation from the private sector there would be particularly welcome. So government might need to consider whether it's happy to relax or explore provision of uh, the ability for private sector parties to introduce part own part rent models as well because currently it's obviously confined to the the registered provided sector the the housing associations and the like who who deliver those types of homes principally only new build homes as well so the long and the short of all of this is to help in that leveling up agenda in particularly in those pressure points and and, and to ensure that nobody is or that, that people are looked after for all ranges of of society we need that model to really consider what the different demand subsets are and deliver housing that is a pr- more appropriate for each of those those different types of people and not just build build a one size fits all and try and squeeze squeeze the different demand subsets into that home it's got to be innovation is the the way forward in in all forms and you've said obviously not a one size fits all but in your view are there particular constraints or considerations for London and Greater London that maybe are different to other cities around the UK? Well, London's probably London's biggest challenge in this context is always availability of of land, availability of opportunities to build new housing. It's obviously got the greatest population pressures across the country. Um, It's the, the largest, most densely populated part of the United Kingdom, indeed one of the most densely populated parts of all of Europe. That said, there are ways to continue to deliver more housing in in London using brownfield opportunities, the repurposing of um, assets or types of buildings that are no longer needed for what they they used to be needed for. So this is something that we um, we spend a lot of work on at JLL. Um, we built a model called the um, uh, effectively revolves around live, work, play, and analyzing areas and assets for their propensity to provide a space for someone to live or a pe- space for someone to work or a space for someone to play. And the one thing you can be sure of in London, so while that challenge exists to identify those assets, and sometimes it's perhaps a bit more deli- difficult to deliver um, a, a, new, a new development on that site because it's constrained or... Um, in a busy area anyway so building there is not not so easy but one thing you can be sure of is that there's always going to be demand for specially live live spaces but also to a certain extent those work and play spaces as well so it's 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 a challenge with an opportunity at, at the other end of it as well i think from everything we've discussed there's some really fascinating insights as to what the research that you've done uh, around this topic and, and what that means for living and working in London going forward. Um, so sort of to bring our discussion to a bit of a conclusion, where do you think, having considered all of this, this does leave London on, on the map as the global number one city it is today? So it's, it's a, this is a great opportunity for London. This is um, the period of coming out of the storm, shall we say, which is obviously relevant to, to everywhere in the in the world that the pandemic wasn't obviously just a, a London thing. Don't, don't, 
don't misunderstand. But the chance is there to come out and create a far more livable London, not just um, not just a, a great world city for all of the factors that we've talked about, but this is now also the chance to to make sure that all of London thrives together and that every area of the, of the capital becomes not a nicer place to live, uh, providing a, a greater balance of, of all the things we we want in life. Um, and, you know, we're about to enter a, a really significant period in, in the eyes of some co- commentators. It's it's going to be referred to as the, the 21st century roaring 20s. So reflecting the, the roaring 20s that occurred after the Spanish flu in, in the 1920s, when people came out of that period with a, with a lot of pent-up demand um, and a lot of um, freedom, a feeling of freedom, a collective freedom. And I say this, I really hope this happens, of course, but um, there is a there is this chance that this history is going to repeat itself and we're going to get back out and we're going to enjoy life again. We're going to appreciate the little things in life a bit more. Uh, the sense of community, people have found the uh, the ability to talk to their neighbours once again. And these are things that perhaps weren't so common in a place like London, but now they're back again and, and the chance is there for for London to, to emerge strongly from from this period, both economically and on a community livable basis. And what, from you, your opinion, are the key reasons why London will always be the global capital, will continue to attract the talent and therefore the value and investment that it has to date? First of all, you can't overlook the fact that it has been. History sort of tells a story that usually, um, in effect, the platform has been built over a period of, of 2,000 years and that platform is strong and solid for for many reasons. Some of the reasons we were talking about earlier on in the podcast, the fact that London has um, has a hub or many hubs all in one location. That isn't always the case in some other major cities around the world. Perhaps if you look at, say, for instance, Germany, Germany has a, the super seven cities, seven big cities that are strong for different things. Uh, you go to the States, um, in, in America, the financial capital is on the East Coast in New York, but the digital capital is on the West Coast in, in Silicon Valley. In the, in, in the UK, in, the, in, in our context, it's all in one city. In fact, it's only a mile apart, the digital capital from the financial capital. So these, these are great assets that London has. Um, London is a major English language speaking country with ties to many parts of the world because of the history of the, the UK. People want to, to remember that history and they want to visit. There's, there's cultural interest there. London has 70 Michelin-starred restaurants. It has over 700 museums and art galleries. Um, London has six Premier League football clubs. So the, Premier League, the Premier League is a world uh, showcase um, product. People want, want a taste of that. These things will, will continue to bring people to London um, and, and, and they're not going away. So... So there's many reasons to remain positive. Thank you, Nick. I think that's really been so valuable, all the insights, thoughts and the research that um, you've brought to the table today in our discussion. Thank you very much for for joining us today. Um, And no doubt we will be speaking again soon. And I guess for everyone that's been listening, thank you for um, listening in to our podcast today. And if you wanted to get in touch with either Nick or myself to discuss any of the themes or information coming out of our podcast today, 
um, then don't hesitate to drop us an email and the email details will be on the links to the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed time today on our podcast and look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Thanks very much. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.